today fit into what we've been talking about now since last week, and this is actually part two. And the thought that we uh, got from this last song was that there's nothing like him. There's no one like him. One of the uh, theological words that like to, we like to use or the Bible uses to describe God is holy. What does that mean? It sounds really special, but what does it actually mean? Well, it means that he's separated. He's apart. He's unique. There's no one like him. So that song fits re really good into what we're going to talk about. Jesus is superior to the old system uh, that the Hebrews practiced, right? We'll get a little bit more into that. And then the first song also talked about the fact that uh, um, if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? And we're going to look at, because uh, one of the challenges of interpreting this passage of Scripture is that temptation to look at what this passage describes as some people that had fallen away. The word literally means had departed. They'd gone back to their old ways. So um, it's, it's really easy for people to misinterpret who they're talking about. The question is, who are these people that uh, this passage describes? So we're going to get into Hebrews 6. I'm going to read the first couple, two or three verses first, and then, uh, and then we'll get right back into it, because we got into this last week, okay? So if you don't have a Bible, um, I have some I can pass out. Um, Michael, do you have a couple? Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. If you need one, just raise your hand up high. Or maybe you have it on your device, your phone. If not, just let us know. We'll get you one. So I'm just going to read a couple of the verses here uh, from Hebrews um, chapter 6, and then uh, verses uh, 4, and you can see up on the screen, I'm going to actually go all the way to 12, at least I'm going to try, but I want to look at the first three, because we're kind of picking up where we left off last week. So it says this, if you don't mind standing with me, as we show honor to God's Word, this is God's Word, and the challenge is to understand it, so that in understanding it, we may believe in it, and then put it to, into practice. The whole idea is to live what we believe. Amen? So it says, for it is impossible. That's the challenge right there. I'm just going to throw it out. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and hold Him up to contempt. Okay, so let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you again and we pray for your help. Especially, Lord, as we dig into this historically challenging passage of Scripture and its interpretation. And, and no doubt that this has been used uh, in, abuse, in an abusive way. But we're going to see today, Lord, that it's actually an encouragement because of what we can learn from it and grow from it and see beyond this. And we thank you for that. And we just ask your presence and your blessing and your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. So one of the things that we have to do is be very careful. We're interpreting passages like this because we have to look at it in context. Anybody know what I mean by in context? Or I like to say uh, content 
brings context. Everything that's been said before and everything that's going to be said afterwards helps in being able to understand what's being said. It would be, for instance, in the, I don't know, in the days when we used to actually get letters or maybe even an email. We can't just go right, right into the middle of the email and just read a, a, a couple sentences and understand what the email is saying. I have that problem sometimes at work. Uh, I'm a high school teacher, and sometimes I just kind of look real quick and see something in the middle, but I actually didn't read the first part. <laughs> I didn't read the last part. I just read the middle, and I'm like, I don't like that. But So we, we can't just throw out what we think. We have to let the text itself tell us what it says, and, and that's the challenge. When we see words like impossible, well, and then all of a sudden we see here, too, that these people had actually uh, experienced church life. They had actually been familiar with church life in the things that are said there in verses 4 and 5 when it mentions about the fact that they had been enlightened. They had been sitting in church. Uh, they had tasted of the heavenly gift. They had shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. But then they fall away. So who are these people? And to what have they fallen away to? And then... Why is it saying it's impossible for them to return or to repent? And we're going to get into that. So first of all, I say, I believe the text is telling us that these are people that had put themselves in a very impossible situation. Let's not blame God, the first thing. Someone that walks away or someone that falls away, as it says here, they put themselves in this situation. These are the people who wanted to return to those things that were inferior these are the people who insisted on returning to, and here's the key. They wanted to go back to a work-based, effort-based religion. So a place where you earn your salvation, like the Old Testament. Okay? So it's the basis of our relationship either, is either like it was in the Old Testament with the rituals and their ceremonies and their traditions and their sacrifices and all of the stuff related to that. Or we come to the new covenant in Christ where our trust is in what he did for us at Calvary's cross, period. We have to make a decision on what we're going to do. The new covenant is about looking at the cross and understanding what Jesus said at the cross when he said it is finished. What's finished? Whatever need to be paid, the debt that was owed by us as sinners, Jesus paid the price in full. So if Jesus paid the price in full, what, what do I have to pay? What do you have to pay? What can you do to earn it? And I'll just say it right out right. Nothing. We put our trust in the finished work of Jesus at his cross. And we trust that what he did was sufficient. And we know that it was by the fact that the Father raised him from the dead three days later. One of the, the, and the reason why the resurrection is so important is because it's like the Father put a stamp of approval on what he had done at the cross by raising him from the dead. And it justifies who he said he was, and it justifies those who believe in him. So we are right with God based on what Jesus did for us. We're never right with God with what we could do for him because we can never do enough. That's the problem here. They wanted to go back to the old religion, the Hebrews, because remember, this is a book to the Hebrews. These were Hebrew Christians or Hebrews had, who come to hear about Christ. 
So instead of depending on the finished work of, of the cross, they wanted to return. So we also know that because of what we read there in verses 4, 5, and 6, that these were people not only who had put themselves in a difficult situation. See, we get ourselves into difficult situations. We can't blame God. If we depart from what he's gifting us and thinking there's some other way or some other uh, manner in which we can have access and a relationship with him, then we're the ones who got ourselves into that issue, into that difficulty. The other thing is that they had known the difference. See, they had heard the word. They had been in an experienced church life, right? But they wanted to go back to the temple. They wanted to go back to the incense. Oh, it smells so religious in here. They wanted the candles. They wanted the, the, to go back to the priests and to the robes. And to all those tangible things that you can touch in those systems of religion. Instead of simply just walking with Jesus. We make it so complicated sometimes. They wanted to go back to, and again, the whole letter of the Hebrews. They wanted to go back to the inferior things. And they left the superior thing. So I thought about this a little bit. How do you describe that? It's like tripping over a $100 bill. To pick up a dime. Does that make sense? You trip over, you ignore, you trip over, the hundred dollar bill becomes a, 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 an obstacle and then you, you fall over something more valuable to pick up something inferior. And you think you got something special when you pick up the dime when you just left behind the hundred dollar bill. Jesus is superior in every sense. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a picture of the fact that Jesus, the Word of God, would dwell among us. He became flesh and would dwell among us. The Old Testament tabernacle was God dwelling among the, the, the Israelites in the desert when they came out of Egypt and that great plan of salvation. So when it says in John's Gospel in verse 14 of chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means tabernacled. He came into a tent of human flesh, God. So what's greater, the tabernacle that was symbolic and figurative of the one who would come, God Almighty would come and dwell in human flesh? What's greater, the tent or the actual person? Well, obviously the person. There was a table called a table of showbread in the holy place. What's greater, the symbolic representation of the one who said, I am the bread of life, or the bread that was sitting in the Old Testament temple. The candles that lit up the way into the Holy of Holies in the, in the temple that were instructed by Moses, build this specifically and accurately, the way I describe it to you. The, in the Old Testament, you can go back and read it. It's the kind of material that if you read, you start to fall asleep because it's over and over and over. But what's better than the one, those candles, are they better than the one who said, I am the light of the world? Do you guys see the, the struggle here? They were having a hard time going and wanting to go back to those inferior things. So another issue here is that personal relationship with Jesus wasn't enough. But I'm here to tell you it is more than enough. 
Jesus is sufficient. Our relationship with him is sufficient for our salvation. The other problem is that these are people that wanted to return to the past. Christians cannot look back. In our case, we're not Hebrews. We're not from that particular uh, tribe of peoples. We're, we're, we're all Gentiles, right? So they want to go back to the old temple, but we could have the temptation to want to go back to our old lives, to the way things were before we knew Christ. The, so the connection could be made that way. So the, there were people who wanted to go and return back to the past. And here's the sad thing about it. Little did these people know, and there's two reasons why this is very tragic. They had no idea that Rome would destroy the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. There would be nothing to go back to. And to this very day, the Jews have no temple. You can't go back to it. They have no way to sacrifice an animal. Because it has to be specifically the way that is described by Moses in building the, the Old Testament temple. Secondly, first, there's no temple to go back to. And at least they didn't know at the time that it was written. But it would soon happen his, in history. We know that, that Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And ransacked the temple. And literally threw down all the stones. And Jesus told the disciples that that would happen. And they burnt the gold. They, they, well, they put it on fire that it was so hot that all of the gold inside the temple went into the cracks of these stones. So in order to get to them, the Roman soldiers, what did they do? They moved the stones to get to the gold. And that's how it was all laid waste. So how can you go back to something that doesn't even exist? It won't exist in their minds. Uh, they thought it would. And then there's other little passage in Romans 10.4. You can write it down and look me up later. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ fulfilled the law and thus ended that way to be found righteous before God or right before God. Because now in the new covenant, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. So by your putting your faith in Christ, and what he did for you at Calvary's cross, you are now right with God. You now have the right to have access to God. So, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. All those types and figures and symbols that were represented there. And there's an interesting passage in Colossians chapter 2. This group wants to gravitate back from what's real to the shadows or they want to go back into darkness and I'll explain that in Colossians 2 verses 16 through 17 there's this interesting passage Paul writes this to this Greek community he says hey let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink by the way the old system was loaded with all kinds of kosher food and things you could drink, you couldn't drink, and or regard to the festival, well, there was a Passover, there was Pentecost, there was uh, uh, the Tabernacles, there was the Day of Atonement. The Jews had, and, the, and Israel had all kinds of festivals, all kinds of feasts. He says, don't let anybody judge you in regard to the feasts or new moons or Sabbaths. Because apparently there were people who were saying, hey, you still got to keep those. You still got to keep Passover. You still got to keep the uh, Pentecost. You still got to keep 
No, we don't, because Jesus fulfilled them. And here's what it says in verse 17 of Colossians 2. These were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it's like, for instance, uh, my son, who I love dearly, said if he were to appear out here in the, sh in the sun, my son in the sun, and I would see his shadow next to him, would I run and go hug the shadow or go hug, hug him? What would I go and embrace? If you guys saw me out there trying to, sh to, if you saw me out there trying to, to hug his shadow, you're probably going to call those people that take you away in that funny white suit. Say, Pastor's lost it. He's out there. He's out. He just went out there and shook Sarah's shadow. The shadow is a figure, uh, and then we understand that it, it's the shadow of a real person. No, we embrace Christ. We embrace the real thing now. See how there's nothing in the past for us because Jesus fulfills it all in himself and what he did during his ministry. So we understand that. And then we understand that these are people who were familiar with church life. They were apparently in the congregation. Hey, here's an interesting way to describe that. And then tragically, someone can be in church for a long time or appears to be walking with Christ. You know who's an example of that? Judas. He did everything the disciples did. He ate with them. He sat with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw and heard his teachings. He, he lived with Jesus for three years, and yet at the end, what did he do? He left. He left. So we can't say that that's not possible. So we, we can't judge people on, and, and call out people. We can only observe and ask the question, what happened? We probably know people that have been in church for a long time, and then all of a sudden they disappeared. So these are people who were once enlightened. They had been part of the, the congregation at some level. They appeared to, to, to be following the Lord. And, and we know that from Judas, that that is actually possible and that someone can, can leave. These are people who were almost Christians. And I'm going to say it this way because there's actually a story in Acts. Paul's preaching to, to King Agrippa, Acts 26, 28, for those of you that want to follow up on that. He says, and he's preaching to, to a King Agrippa before he's sent to Rome to because he's going to appeal to Caesar. He had been charged with, with the crime. And he's, Agrippa says to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. I, I've always like, found that like, fascinating. He was almost a Christian. Kind of scary. That close. But yet so far. Right? I'm gonna, I have to really describe this. They sample Christianity, these people that walked away. They, they sampled the Word of God. They sampled the Holy Spirit. But they were not really, truly born again. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll just say, maybe the example is bad. It's like when I go to Costco. I don't know about you. I sample everything. I sample from this. 
I go to another one and sample there. And I'm sampling everywhere, but what I'm not ever doing is actually buying anything or actually consuming anything. You see the difference? There's a, there is a difference. They never really sank their teeth into a relationship with Christ. They never digested it, if you will, right? And then they slipped away, and it's tragic. And we know that there can be those who were almost a Christian. Almost. So verse 6 says they had fallen away or they departed. It's, it's impossible to restore them because here's the bottom line. Let me just get to it. By going back to the old system of religion, the, the Hebrew Christians, by going, trying to go back into the temple and practice all those rituals and ceremonies, they're rejecting Jesus. They're saying he's not enough. That's the problem. And by rejecting Jesus, we can't be saved. He, uh, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yes, as a Christian, we have to accept that the scriptures say that salvation is exclusive. One of the things we have to learn how to tell our friends when they ask us, are you trying to tell me that there's only one way to get to heaven? Yes, I am telling you that. Not because I, I'm making it up, because that's what the scriptures say. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So here's the encouraging thing. If you love Jesus, if you trust the Lord, if you put your faith in him, then you're okay. The fact that you're even here means you're okay. See, these that have fallen away, their very actions indicate what's in their hearts. So a lot of people say, because this passage is used for people to say, you know that you can lose your salvation. That's one of the fears of this passage. That's why no pastor is brave enough to teach it. And it, and I had to, and it, it was my turn to teach it because I'm going through the book of Hebrews. I didn't pick it today. It just happened to fall on today. Let me say this to you. There are some passages that can give us assurance about our salvation. Can I read them to you? Because there are going to be people saying, well, no, 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 that's me. I'm going to say this. If you even care that it's you, it's not you. That's how this particular fallen away, why it's so difficult. Because you're, they're going back to the things that cannot save them. But if you even ask the question, hey, pastor, I'm kind of wondering about. And, and we talked already last week. About, this is not those people who are doubting or not those people who may have sinned or maybe had been disobedient and now they're sorry. Because the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father in 1 John. We can go to Jesus. We can go to him and we can confess our sins. And what does it say? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So this is not talking about, about that part of our walk. We do fail him. Another thing about being a Christian is we're honest. We do sometimes mess up. We do sometimes go astray. But there's a way back, a path back. It's called confession. 
And then it says in 1 John chapter 1 that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to wash us from all iniquity. So there is a place and there is a person when you feel the guilt and the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you did fail him or mess up, that there is a way back. But that's not these people. Because they fall away and it's not possible to come back. Why? Because they reject Christ. They want to go back to the inferior instead of continuing to follow the superior, which is Christ. So let me do this. Let me give you some encouragement. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13 say this. And this is the testimony. Oh, so this is what they're testifying to. This is what they're saying, right? That God gave us eternal life. Is the word gave past tense? Does it say will give us? Or does it say gave us? So it's past. So he gave it to us. He gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So the life that we have is in Christ. Whoever has the son has life. So do you have Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Then you have what? Life. Right? Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Oh, that explains what we're looking at in Hebrews. They left the Son to go back to the old things. They went back to the shadow of the Son, but not to the Son. They walked away from Him. Okay? And then it says, as we continue, I write these things. I love John because he's known as the apostle, the apostle who loved Jesus. So when he writes, he's writing from a, a motivation of love from a perspective of love. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? So then this, this is what we have. That you may know, emphasis on the word know, that you have eternal life. Christians know they have eternal life. Why? Because they made a decision somewhere to believe in Jesus. See, Faith is action. We can't just believe it in our minds and not act upon it. It's not the biblical word where we get uh, histeo, which is the Greek for faith, which is a verb. Christian faith acts on what we believe. And so we trust it that Jesus did at the cross was sufficient for our salvation. And since we believed in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's no doubt. We know. Because we've made a decision. See, we all have to make a decision to receive or to reject Christ when we hear the gospel. There's no neutral gear in Christianity. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. I love that. New, I don't know anybody who drives a stick or ever has. They're fun to throw it in the neutral. Just kind of cruise. There's no cruising in Christianity, though. You're either moving forward for Christ or you're going backwards. See, a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to make a decision right now. That's not neutral. That's no. No decision is a decision. It's no. Yes means yes. That's why Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How many of us have said yes for Christ? Believing what he did for us at the cross. Then you know you have eternal life because you believe. You believe to the point to where you acted and made a call out to his name. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're not 
doubting. We're not fearful. We know in whom we have believed that he's able to what? Keep us into the day of his appearance. That's encouraging. It's a whole different thing from what people will do with this message and scare the eebie-jeebies out of us. No, it's not applying to anyone here. Because no one here is a Hebrew Christian. No one here came out of Israel. The only thing that would apply would be that if we reject Christ, for whatever reason that might be, but if we say we believe in him, then we have eternal life and we know it. That's out of uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Another thing that happened, and Jesus said it to Nicodemus, there was an interesting story where this man who's a, uh, a leader and a teacher in Israel came to Jesus at night, and he asked him, hey, we uh, kind of um, got a question for you. Uh, um, what, must, what, what, what do we have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, get, of heaven. And Nicodemus got confused. You mean I, I'm an old man and I got to go back, you know, like to back into my mother's womb and all that? No, 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 no. Jesus said, don't marvel what I said to you. You must be born again. And then someone would ask the question, well, how do you do that? You don't do it. He does it. Look what it says. The wind blows, he gives Nicodemus, Jesus gives Nicodemus a, a, an analogy. He says, the wind blows. Anybody see the wind blowing out there today when you walked in? Yeah, you don't have anything to do with that, do you? All you can do is run for cover or fix your hair. I don't have to fix my hair because there's no hair to be fixed. You know, this is one of the benefits of losing hair. Nothing to fix, people. But the wind blows, right? It says, where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I'm just going to change the word wind for Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit blows where it wishes. And so one day the Holy Spirit blew into my heart and into yours. And you're like, hmm? what's happening to me? This is the process of being born again or regeneration. It's an initiated by God. And he says, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. We, we, we knew nothing about the Holy Spirit before we knew about the Word of God. <laughs> what spirit are we talking about? The only spirit I know about was the sign above a liquor store. It says spirits. And isn't it interesting that that particular industry uses the word spirits? But it's the opposite side, isn't it? But the spirit goes where it wants, blows, comes into our hearts and our lives, and then it says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, we are born again because God initiated our salvation by coming into our lives. He began to work in our hearts. His grace was already there wooing us to Him before we even knew Him. No man comes to me, Jesus said, except my Father draw him. So if you feel drawn to Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're interested in, in a, a relationship or the knowledge of God or the Bible, that's the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, we wouldn't care. Because we're dead in sins and trespasses. Another interesting passage uh, is in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Somewhere, somehow, you heard his voice, and you knew to respond 
I don't know why I responded. I did. When I could care less many, many years ago about God. But my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I heard a pastor one time say, no one will snatch you out of his hand and you can't even jump out. Can you imagine you could jump out of his hand? That's how much assurance we have in the plan of salvation and what Jesus did for us. It's so perfect. There's no fears. There's no doubts. There's struggles sometimes. We go through temptations. We go through trials. That, that's normal. But the assurance we have for salvation. Here's another one. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, Paul says. Uh, another verse uh, translation says, I am confident of this. That he, referring to Christ, who began a good work, or to the Father, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that's saying? He's taken us to the finish line. He began a good work in our lives? Yeah, he did. And he will bring it to completion. See, God's not like us, you know, where we got like a million projects at the house and never finish them. Or in your garage. I'm going to rebuild that fence. And there it is, still wobbling. One day I'm going to dig out that old concrete that's kind of rotted. And I'm putting a new one in there for the, and put some new posts in there or whatever. I'm going to build that cabinet or that bookshelf or whatever you're going to do. I'm going to embroider a sweater for my little puppy. And it's half done. We, all, we're the, we always leave things half done. Not God. What God starts, he finishes. I love that. It's so reassuring. I can't wait to come back next Sunday to see what else he's going to finish. Do you see how that works? He's going to bring it to completion. Then there's these very, very powerful passages in Romans 8. Totally recommend you read that chapter every now and then. From verse 29 and 30, he says this, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Foreknew means that God knew beforehand. Well, if he doesn't, he's not God. Omniscience, the idea that God knows everything, is what makes him God. Just like omnipotence means he's all-powerful, right? These are terms to describe God. The, what makes him God is that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, right? He's eternal. He doesn't have a beginning, he doesn't have an end. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. And I wouldn't serve him. I wouldn't. If I ever went to God and said, hey, man, Lord, I got this thing going on. No, don't mean to be disrespectful, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not, hey, man, but Lord, I got, this is what's going on. And all of a sudden, I heard from God, I goes, wow. Wow, Robert, you stumped me this time. I don't know. Well, better go looking somewhere else for the right one that does know. The one who created the universe, and obviously by looking at it, we see his handiwork. He said he foreknew and he also predestined to us, those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, first referring to Christ and his resurrection, and those whom he predestined, he knew our destiny. That's what that means. If ever get nervous about the word predestined, but because he's all-knowing, he knew our destiny already. He also called... And those who he calls, he justified. Notice it's all past tense. 
past tense. It's already done. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We're going to be glorified one day. We're going to put aside this tent, these weak bodies, the aging bodies that we have. I'm going to have hair again. I want that 21-year-old body back. That's what I'm looking forward to. Remember that? Body? Well, some of you still haven't hit 21. Remember that one? Glorified means that he's, we're going to be in a perfect body one day. Like his resurrected body. All of it, is, and the emphasis I'm trying to do here, and I'm almost finished, is that it's all in past tense. It's all in past tense. Meaning it's done. Romans 8, 38 and 39, which we actually kind of sung about a little bit today. For I am sure, Paul says, by the way, he doesn't say I'm wondering, I'm doubting, kind of maybe, sort of, kind of. No, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor things uh, present, or powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know what else, including yourself. 1 Peter 3, 1, uh, 1 verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, there's the motive of why we can have confidence in God. It's a merciful act on His part. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, what Jesus told to Nicodemus, the work of the Holy Spirit. And what are we born again to? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not like just for now. It's living, it's permanent, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't keep your salvation. He keeps it for, for you. He's the one that gives you security, not yourself. And it says, by whom by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God's power guards us and heaven is in uh, uh, and this inheritance that we have in heaven is being kept for us who's keeping it for us god so salvation is of the lord jesus name means god is salvation jesus is a cognate of jehovah ashua which is where we get joshua from the hebrew God is salvation. He's salvation. So when we put our trust in Him, we're saved. And that is that if we put a genuine trust in Him, genuine faith in Him, understanding what He's done for us. A couple more, if you don't mind. Ephesians 1.13. In Him, referring to Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, we've heard it, we responded, right? The gospel of your salvation. We heard it and believed in him. There's the act that we did by, by, by uh, faith. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Is we're sealed past tense? Not could be, might be, will be, soon to be. No, we're sealed. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, referring to Jesus, he's able to save to the uttermost. So I don't know how bad your situation is. I don't know how far you've fallen in sins and trespasses. And the, we know that the life of sin can lead to death. It's destructive. 
it steals from us the joy and the peace that we can have in Christ. But however far that is that you've gone, He's able to save even beyond that. You can't mess it up. If you cry out to His name by faith, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. He loves that up when we come that way. We humble ourselves. He will save us. He says that uh, consequently he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because Jesus right now, after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And what he's doing right now is interceding on our behalf every moment of the day. He intercedes on our behalf. That's his role right now. He's our great high priest, greater than Aaron could ever have been, greater than Melchizedek, the ancient priest that Abraham paid tithes to. Jesus is our great high priest, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. How can we not keep moving forward? Because he will guarantee it. So, I'll stop with this. Obviously, and let's just get to the, this quote, unquote, who are those who have fallen away, and what is it that they did? Obviously, there's three options, okay? And I'll give them to you. It's, it, I'm going to say, and I'm going to take a position. You don't have to agree with me. It's fine. It doesn't change anything if you truly believe in Christ. It might change about a little bit of how you live your life in the sense of the security or not. But here, this is either a person who's struggling with intense doubt and or sin in their lives, but they're still Christians, because they know they have an advocate with the Father and they can ask for forgiveness of their sins. It's not those people they're talking about because we do have a way to repent by going on our knees and doing like the man did in that story that Jesus told about two people, the religious one and then the publican, which was the tax collector. And he simply prayed, Lord, forgive me uh, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said he went home forgiven. So it's not those people. So then there are those uh, uh, that would suggest that these people that had fallen away, these people that had departed, were once Christians, and now they lost their salvation. I don't believe that. I'll tell you what I think. I think they never were. They were almost Christians. They dabbled in it, but they weren't. Because of the verses that read to you that you can't. You're secure. So... These, these people, despite all appearances, were never truly Christians. They rejected Christ. They didn't believe in his word, and they departed. And because they reject Christ, they can't come back. Because the only one way to salvation is through Christ. There's no other way. And they thought that they could go to the old system and be saved. So, that's who I think they are. There's that passage I read to you last week in 1 John where he says that there were those who left, and John explains the reason they left is because they never were part of us. And that's a sad commentary. But those of us who can be secure, if you put your faith in Christ, you're saved. Because he did the work in your heart to be able to call out in his name. Isn't that encouraging? 
Whew, I'm done with this section. Oh, thank God. But you can go check on me, and you'll find if you d dig deep enough into the context that th those are the options we have. And I choose, and my prayer is that you choose Jesus. And that you know that it is all you need. And he will keep you. He will guard you. He will bring you to the finish line. Don't worry about it. He started the work. He's going to finish it. You know where he found you. You know where he's brought you to, where you're at now. And he wants to take you to the end. That's the encouragement of this passage. Unfortunately, we're those who decided differently. And that's why it's mentioned. But it's not us. Specifically, not us, because we're not Hebrews. Potentially, at some level, it could be someone, but that would only be the one who rejects them. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can go into your word, and, and yes, sometimes uh, there are passages that are difficult and challenging to interpret, but if we use the context of the story, and if we use all the Bible, the whole counsel of God, then we can get a better idea here, Lord, of who it's directed to and what it is that they did that put them in such an impossible situation. But that's not us, I pray, because of the context. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you're merciful. We thank you for your grace and your love. And that's why we will go to the finish line once we put our trust in you. Because you're good. Because you're faithful. And that's all that matters. You will never leave us nor forsake us. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loves us. And that's, the, that's where we stand this morning. And we're so grateful. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.